This is In Search of the Pluriverse. We are Sophie Creer and Eric Wong. Join us on our quest for a world in which many worlds fit. We were invited by Het Nieuwe Instituut to be the first curators of their traveling academy. You can follow us online at pluriverse.hetnieuweinstituut.nl. Yeah, so we're recording. That's good. Well, Eva, it's three, two, one, lift off, I would say. So uh, I will start reading the introduction and then I'll get to you. So welcome back, dear listeners. After eight warming up talks we collected, we'd like to welcome you to this new series of podcasts in our search for the Pluriverse, Testing Istanbul's Waters. In five short talks, we anticipate on the upcoming Thirst Walk, due to take place two weeks from now as part of the closing activities of the fifth Istanbul Design Biennale. This thirst-provoking walk will provide perspectives on water from designer Noor Orsanale, urbanist Yashar Adnan Adanale, ecologist and activist Lian Poa, and architects Eva Pfannes and Sylvain Hartenberg from Ooze. Artist Saikan Tejan will be our virtual guide in this process. Water supply in urban areas is vital, no exception for Istanbul, where the water distribution system dates back to pre-Roman times. Water as a commons, as metaphor, as politics. And the question is, who quenches whose thirst? Now, welcome Eva Fannes for this talk. Uh, Sylvain Hartenberg is not here, but he will join us later in the Thirst Walk. But we're super happy to have you. And before I shortly introduce you and, and your studio, uh, let's talk a little bit about the name you gave to the studio. It's called Ooze. And in the context of water, that's such an interesting word because it, in Dutch it translates as sijpelen, which, which translates back again as trickling, leaking, seeping through. And it's about these small amounts of liquids that permanently sort of seep out. Or, or, yeah, you could also say transpire right. or make mm -hmm. away. So how, how did that name yeah, so come about? Uh, came about, it was the name of a project uh, that we were participating in for the Sarajevo Concert Hall uh, about 20 years ago. And the concert hall was sort of reaching out into the city. So it was literally flowing out into the city. And a good friend of ours, Ron Steiner, he said, oh, that's oozing. And we thought, oh, wow, what's, what's ooze? That sounds amazing. And so ooze is really like a, a slow process of a liquid that gets gradually absorbed by the ground without boundaries. It's really this process without boundaries um, that happens and that became a synonym for the way we work and the, the results that we generate. And then, of course, it has a lot to do with water, but it can also be used for other flows. Yeah, it's a beautiful name. So you founded Ooze in 2003, and Ooze is based in Rotterdam. And you work internationally for governments, municipalities, arts and cultural institutions, and also for private clients. And Ooze works across scales. So from temporary artworks to regional strategies, for instance. And the cyclic closed-loop processes that you can find in nature are the foundation for each intervention. And each project, whether an art installation, 
building, public space or spatial strategy. It aims to create experience and change. It somehow provokes change or it instigates change towards, well, let's say a more convivial way of living, like us humans living in a closer or in, in new ways in relation to other than human living material like animals, trees, plants and ecosystems. So Eva, I'm super happy that you could make the time to talk to me <laughs> because the two of you are super busy right now. At the moment, we're busy with preparing works for the International Architecture Biennial in Rotterdam, the IABR, and for the Venice Biennial. For the IABR, we're working on a project that's called the Local Energy Action Plan, the LEAP. And the LEAP investigates how, what is, could be an alternative of the standard way of uh, working on the energy transition, like it is uh, in the daily news, the energy transition, right, getting off the gas. And so the LEAP looks at the scale of the neighborhood as being the scale where actually changes can manifest in between the physical, the body, and the planetary changes that are needed. And so it looks how much energy actually falls onto the neighborhood in terms of sun energy. And we're looking at how much energy can be locally captured, stored in the ground, taken from via aquatermy from the rivers, and can be distributed and managed locally so that energy is not something that uh, continues to use the sort of neoliberal system, but that energy becomes like a commons that is managed in the neighborhoods and not something that you can generate endless profits. And how we can then also use the profits we make to generate other benefits like climate adaptive measures, like much more green that cool the neighborhood in summer, collect the rainwater, create more healthy environments, and uh, eventually create also benefits to create local jobs. So it looks as how to use the investment that comes to energy transition as a leverage to create all these other amazing benefits in the neighborhood while actually helping to achieve the SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals, and um, getting off the gas uh, overall. And um, the other project is the Future Island um, that is a running project in Stockholm where the Venice Biennial has asked us to uh, exhibit this in one way or the other in the Giardini, in the Italian pavilion. It's an art project in a new to build campus in the north of Stockholm, the Albano campus. Uh, we are creating an island of granite rocks and half of the island, so half of the rocks, are heated. So they're heated by solar energy to create an environment that is five degrees hotter than the surrounding environment. And with that simulation, we want to research of how the flora and fauna can adapt, but also we want to start discussions because, of course, it's a limited space. But So the discussion and to actually present the simulation as a way to stimulate this exchange between science and, uh, and people and citizens. And so this, we're bringing it to Venice. Uh, we're bringing one prototype that we heat with the solar energy from the roof of the Giardini Pavilion. Um, and we um, accompanying this exhibition with, uh, with a wall, wallpaper, like a wall drawing that looks at how Earth as a whole ecosystem has been adapting to changes. Uh, since 4.5 billion years of its uh, existence, uh, more or less. 
Yeah, that's interesting that the recent changes of the climate in the context of these billion years that, that went before us, because we humans are not inhabiting this planet so long. You know, we just entered it, you could say. Yeah, actually, if you look at it as if it was sort of a 24-hour scale, the humans are only around the last two seconds. Yeah, <laughs> that's un uncomprehensible even for us. If we know that we're only for two seconds here compared to the whole uh, history of the Earth or of the planet, and if you see what kind of changes we evoked in those two seconds, that's enormous, it, right? It is, and it is also, it is not so strange when you see how long it took Earth. So if we imagine Earth as a factory and how long it took Earth, how many millions or billions of years it took Earth to make granite, like we found that this granite in Stockholm is two billion years old, and how long it took the Earth to make gas, to make uh, basically fossil fuels, which is a sort of... Uh, degradation of plants after all and how fast uh, how incredibly fast we burned all this and how much fire and burning is actually part of our culture and um, how we should like smarten up and use other ways of generating energy i think there's a change of culture that needs to needs to start from the sort of most easy solution to go to the most so the solution that generates less waste but it sounds like a beautiful idea to you to, to have this stone as a sort of a, a symbol, but also as a sort of a real life experiment to see what happens when you heat the planet with five, heat it up five degrees. But let's focus now a little bit more on the idea uh, of water as a material, but also as a notion and the city of Istanbul, because we ask you to join us for this thirst walk, because water has always been an important ingredient in your way of thinking and also in your designs. And um, I've learned that you graduated, like in 1996, which is a way back, which is a long time ago, on a project in Istanbul. Can you tell right. us a little bit about yeah, it? Yeah, that, that's a long time ago, indeed. That was a project. It was called the Ministry of Fence, uh, as opposed to the Ministry of Defense. And it was creating, it was actually um, looking at the possibility of the Bosphorus as a space in between, in between Asia in, and Europe, and in between a whole different cultures. So we looked at, I looked at an inverted mosque, so Istanbul is this landscape of mosques, and how about one mosque sort of landing upside down in the Bosphorus and creating the space that wasn't there before, like a cup sort of floating in the water and creating a space that is inhabited by plants, but like a laboratory, maybe genetically manipulated plants and the energy would be generated by waves that bounce onto this uh, new, new space. And I, I wanted a space where cultures can meet, sort of where you don't have like a coded space like we have in all the cities uh, you know, the cultural spaces, museums are only for certain type of people. But how could we create a space where everybody feels welcome? What's sort of a name? new a new area, a new territory. A new territory, yeah. Yeah. Pioneer territory. And it somehow reminds me also a little bit of an of an inverted dome, as in the biosphere domes. Remember those yeah, those yeah. experiments in the nineties, I think, or in the early two thousands. It's an interesting. Um, yes, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's an experiment, or... I guess, to create uh, 
to see also how it lands, how how people start to use it uh, as something that's sort of in process, you know, not something that you make and it's finished, but something that's in process. It was uh, quite a big landscape. Well, and in 2015, you did something that was really used, so that that was really an experiment that people could inhabit and use and dip themselves into literally, because you created a pond, a swimming pond in the middle of London at King's Cross. It was like an ecosystem in itself. Can you can you tell us a little bit about that? Project? Yeah, so the King's Cross Pond Club of Soil and Water was a theater. It was the stage for human and non-human and plants to meet and to engage with the city in the becoming. So it was surrounded by one of the largest building sites um, in Europe at the time with a lot of noise and machines and everything that comes with it. And also this idea of the sort of new city in the making. Um, you know, you always have people looking at building sites. It's super interesting. And so we wanted within that to create this sort of micro environment, like a laboratory where we lifted up the, the pond. So like the idea is to create this micro environment with uh, totally no chemicals. So it was the first natural swimming pond uh, public in the UK. And the fact that it was temporary helped a lot to get all the permissions together. And so this space attracted a large community of cold water swimmers, but also community um, of people from all walks of life who started to meet there and make friends and eventually generated a movement. And when the pond had to disappear because it was a temporary project after 16 months, they made a petition and it was really nice because the word after, let's say, after swimming, the second most word that was used was love. And uh, I think out of 5,000 people, maybe more than 1,000 left a message and more than 300 used that word love and place. So, so really the sort of emotional connection with a place that is really made by plants and natural processes and where you feel you can be in tune with nature. You know, the pond had a limited capacity of 163 swimmers per day. And, and that's not some arbitrary number, but that's the number that nature can deal with somehow. And to, to feel that and to learn how this relationship, it's a sort of give and take, I think this created a special yeah, relationship with the people who were actually ready. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, awareness. Yeah. So that's that's now five years ago. So it yeah. was open. So it was running for for sixteen months. Um, and when you look back at it in retrospect, what kind of impact does it have still locally? I mean, do st people still talk about it? Like, oh, remember mm -hmm. the pool? But mm -hmm. how did it also in, in, uh, mm -hmm. affect your practice? I would say locally, people still talk about it. Um, the city of London integrated it in its policy, in some policy documents. Uh, a lot of researchers are approaching us to use it as a reference um, because it was uh, was very special in its layeredness of uh, culture, of uh, sports, you could say, like swimming of nature and ecosystems. So it combined all these layers into one. And it did so in an extremely enjoyable way. 
it was not like, you know, you come with the big finger and you tell people what to do and not to do, but it's really sort of this sort of learning by doing and enjoying yourself being together. And I think this notion is something that we bring with us wherever we do projects now. Sorry that I missed that. It must, be, must have been an incredible experience to swim in the middle of London. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's a strange experience. So we're already at the closing of this talk because it's just a short introduction for our listeners because you're going to join us later this month for our thirst walk. And to say a little bit about that, it's, it's, it's a walk we organized, um, Sophie Krier and I, as an alternative for going physically to Istanbul, which was the first plan. We were planning to, to go there with some Dutch-based makers and you were part of the Dutch delegation and some Turkish-based makers, and we would exchange knowledge and skills and talk about it, talk about our practices in relation to water because we chose water as a subject. So now we're gonna have a physical walk and uh, a virtual talk. I'd like you to go back to a moment in your life, which could be very recent or could be long ago, when you were like really, really thirsty. Can you describe a moment that you were really, really thirsty? I remember some bicycle races. I used to do bicycle races when I was a teenager. Of course, you have a limited capacity of what you can carry, which is usually one bottle. And, uh, and so at the end of like, I don't know, 80 kilometers, uh, you reach, uh, you, you're looking, you're really looking forward to finish the race, but you're also really looking forward to actually just you know, splash your face and drink as much as you can, yeah. possibly. And when you drank then as much as you could after that race, can you get back to that uh, moment of quenching your thirst? Like, what does water taste like in your opinion? Yeah. How would you describe the taste of I, water? I think when, you're, when your mouth is dry and then, and then you drink it, it's like sweet and... and soft and gentle and extremely soothing it's uh, it's like it's pure pleasure yeah well thank you pure pleasure well this conversation was pure pleasure eva so i'm gonna i'm gonna say my closing words and um i thank you thank for you for the invitation joining. eric it's been a pleasure yeah. too yeah so, uh, dear listeners, this was one of the five teasers in the series Testing Istanbul's Waters, part of the ongoing quest in search of the pluriverse. Stay tuned for the next talk to be published soon. For more background on this project, you can dig into our Traveling Academy web magazine at pluriverse.hetnieuweinstitute.nl. And you can follow us on Instagram at In Search of the Pluriverse. I, Eric Wong, was your host. The tune is by Jakomiri, and our audio engineer is Tseiko. In Search of the Pluriverse is part of the Travelling Academy, an initiative of Het Nieuwe Instituut in close partnership with the Consulate General in Istanbul and embassies in Germany, Morocco, Spain and the UK. The Travelling Academy brings together makers from these regions and the Netherlands to learn how formal and informal ways of knowing can support each other in tackling ecological, social-political and special issues.